0: Hello everybody, I'm Sean and welcome back to the Crocktime podcast, delivering weekly updates on markets and geopolitics, providing you with valuable insights and unique perspectives on events and trends shaping the world. Today, we are doing a deep dive on the current situation in Afghanistan. Over 20 months have passed since the Taliban took back power from the NATO-backed leader, Ashraf Ghani. How have things been so far? We often hear about women's rights in the country taking a turn for the worse and widespread hunger. But let's try to look at the Taliban's government through different lenses. Surprisingly, they have managed to improve in some areas where previous governments have failed. For example, in economic governance. To provide a complete overview of the country's situation, we will also look into the Taliban's foreign policy. But not before quickly going over what exactly happened to Afghanistan. So let's cut to the chase. The U.S. and its allies spent trillions of dollars in Afghanistan to stop the Taliban from returning to power and looked to build the country's infrastructure and institutions from the ground up. As America looked to scale back its operations in the region, the Taliban swooped in and took back control, denting a heavy blow to the U.S. and its international reputation and credibility while plunging Afghanistan into chaos. Since the Taliban took back power, the Afghan economy shrank by 35% between 2021 and 2022, according to the World Bank. At the moment, Afghanistan is the only country in the world where it is illegal for a female to study beyond secondary school level or to work in most professions. The country has plunged into hunger with the withdrawal of Western support and a collapse in foreign investment and remittances. The severe drought afflicting the country and an unusually cold winter have certainly not helped. Yet, despite all these struggles and international isolation, the Taliban's efforts to govern have been impressive so far in terms of security and economic management, as well as the local governance. Let's dissect these two areas in greater detail. Security-wise, the Taliban's approach to terrorism is surprising as they are attacking the Islamic State's local affiliate in Eastern and Northern Afghanistan and the threat of terrorist activities on a global scale did not increase as many had expected, possibly indicating that the Taliban have somewhat moderated. The country has gotten safer and internal travel is possible without many risks, except for certain areas, of course. The streets are clean and crime has plummeted. Although the main reason for this is that the Taliban before were the main cause of insecurity, their efforts to bring stability to the country have been impressive. We will also go back to the security situation when we talk about the Taliban's foreign policy, because on some other aspects, it is not as good as it seems. Economically speaking, while the situation in the country is bleak, the Taliban have focused on improving economic management, starting from massive infrastructure projects. The biggest one is the Kosh-Tepa Canal project in the arid north, looking to divert water from the Amu Dariya River for irrigation and expand farmland in the region. The Islamist regime says over 5,000 people are working with over 3,000 bits of machinery to complete the project. The complex engineering work has baffled experts around the world and once completed could demonstrate that the Taliban are in a better shape than anybody would have expected. Questions have also arisen regarding funding the canal, given the complete absence of foreign donors and the economic meltdown. However, Part of these funds could have been raised from recovered money from a crackdown on tax avoidance and corruption. In fact, the Taliban have succeeded in doing what previous NATO-backed governments had failed to do, and that is cracking down on tax avoidance and corruption. The Hawala dealers, operators of a vast money transfer market, estimated to provide twice the volume of commercial loans of Afghanistan's banking industry, have been largely regulated by the new government and have been forced to keep computerized records of transactions. The Taliban have even been shutting down non-compliant businesses, reforming the hawala industry, cracking down on smuggling, and imposing extremely harsh capital controls which have reduced the flow of dollars leaving the country, has allowed Afghanistan's central bank to stabilize the Afghani, the country's currency, despite the central bank's foreign reserves being completely frozen by the U.S. Corruption is significantly down, as indicated by a recent World Bank survey, illustrating that the proportion of businesses that bribe customs officials fell from 62% to 8%. In general, economic law enforcement has improved with tighter border controls pushing up revenues. The Taliban have surprisingly been able to pay all their 800,000 government employees, in some cases also backpaying for the first few rocky months. The government is credited for restoring historical pre-Islamic sites and TV stations are free to report the news without much government interference. There are also multiple reports about excellent management of cities cleaning up the streets from vendors, drug addicts and stray dogs. Some analysts believe Afghanistan is now better managed than its neighbor, Pakistan, which is seeing a massive crisis I will look to deepen in a future episode. The current peace that the country is seeing has certainly helped divert the government's focus from security concerns towards economic management. The Taliban had made economic development nearly impossible for two decades and are now the ones in control, not having to worry of any major insurgencies. What are also other factors that have contributed to the progress in economic governance? One factor that has certainly played a role is that the Taliban government mostly inherited institutions that had been formed under the NATO-backed government. For example, They left Western-backed bureaucrats in place at the central bank, which has largely explained the success in the management of the currency. Another surprising factor is that the Taliban cabinet also includes able pragmatists that have focused on good governance. In addition, the Taliban are also looking to clean up their own business interests. In April 2022, they outlawed the trade in opium, increasing opium and meth prices worldwide. The group had profited greatly from smuggling drugs during their insurgency. Afghanistan is in fact the world's biggest opium and heroin producer. However, enforcement of the new laws has been patchy as it may risk alienating farmers that have traditionally been strong supporters of the Taliban. Despite all these positive developments, I cannot stress enough the extremely dire situation the country is facing. As I already mentioned, the country is in fact in terrible shape, with widespread suffering, unemployment, and hunger. The UN believes 97% of Afghans live below the poverty line. Its Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, said the country was trapped in the largest humanitarian crisis in the world today. Their treatment of women and girls and the severe curtailment in their basic rights is an incredible step back for the Taliban government, even though surprisingly, many Taliban are against these moves. Even looking at the country's security, not everything is as rosy as it seems. While the country is largely safe, with the only exception being fighting the Islamic State insurgency, the Taliban have remained friendly with the Tariq i Taliban Pakistan, also called the TTP, which include various Islamist armed militia groups operating along the Afghan Pakistan border. The Taliban allowed the TTP to have a base in the country from which to launch deadly attacks into Pakistan, threatening regional security and destabilizing their neighbors. Even the project related to the canal on the Amu Darya River could increase regional conflict by diverting water to Uzbekistan, which relies heavily on the river for its extensive cotton fields. Afghanistan imports most of its electricity from Uzbekistan and it cannot afford to escalate tensions with its richer neighbor. In February, Uzbekistan cut electricity exports to them because of a shortage of it at home given the cold winter. We went over a lot here, but as you can tell, while I am impressed by the Taliban's efforts to govern the country, it is important to be aware of the entire situation and not let good news drive everything. Let's now look at the Taliban's tentative foreign policy and their international relations. Internationally, the Taliban's support to foreign terrorist groups, increasing regional insecurity, have worried China, Iran, and Russia. Their treatment of women and girls have been criticized by Saudi Arabia. If even Saudi Arabia criticizes your human rights abuses, then you know you're doing something wrong. Jokes aside, the Taliban haven't really prioritized foreign relations so far, as they have been dealing with a mountain of domestic challenges, as we highlighted before. The Taliban have been slowly and persistently pushing for legitimacy and full international recognition which hasn't really happened yet. However, foreign engagement is returning, highlighted in January as the state-run Xinjiang Central Asia Petroleum and Gas Company from China agreed to drill for oil in the Amudarya Basin. China has also been eyeing Afghanistan's mineral riches with keen interest, looking to extend its influence via economic ties with the new regime, replacing America's dominant position in the country until 2021. A few weeks ago, it emerged that a Chinese company, Gochin, is looking to invest $10 billion in Afghanistan's lithium deposits, potentially creating 120,000 direct and a million indirect jobs in the country. However, as much as China is aching to jump in, the risks involved remain high. The security situation is what worries them the most. The Taliban's ties with the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, ETIM for short, which looks to establish an Islamic State in Xinjiang and Central Asia, angers the Chinese, even though international experts questioned the existence of ETIM in the first place due to a lack of evidence. However, Terrorist attacks on Chinese projects and employees is their most prominent issue. An attack conducted by the Islamic State, also called ISKP, in December on a hotel in Kabul killed three Chinese nationals and angered Xi Jinping's government. ISKP has in fact not shied away from confronting China, criticizing Chinese oppression of Uyghur Muslims and accusing it of imperialism. Beijing is likely to remain extremely cautious with its commitments. At the moment, it seems to be only dipping its toes into the unpredictable country. It of course wants to gain a foothold, but it doesn't want to rush in very quickly. It will mostly wait and see how the few infrastructure and oil and gas projects it has signed proceed before investing more. The Taliban are also looking to bring Afghanistan into the Belt and Road Initiative, China's Global Infrastructure Development Plan to boost investment and trade in the country. But they could also be somewhat hesitant about jumping in. Although the investments China would bring could make a massive difference, Afghanistan has seen its neighbors' extensive experience with China, which raised significant red flags. In fact, Pakistan has become the centerpiece of China's entire Belt and Road initiative and look how the country is now. It has a few highways and power plants but is incredibly indebted to China and is rolling towards bankruptcy while facing political chaos and adverse climate events such as last year's floodings. Russia, another internationally isolated country, signed a provisional deal with the Taliban in September 2022 to supply Afghanistan with gas, oil and wheat. Russia is also looking warily to Afghanistan and is focusing more on trying to contain the spillovers from the humanitarian disaster than actively engaging with them. Its relationship seems more of convenience than anything else. What else would you expect from Russia though? However, just as in China's case, Security concerns loom. The ISKP is also extremely anti-Russian and in the same month of the signing of the deal with Russia, a suicide bomber hit the Russian embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan's capital city, and killed two Russian embassy staff members. Despite of this, if Russia continues to feel internationally isolated, they would not hesitate to engage with the Taliban government. They don't think twice about their relationships with North Korea, Syria, Venezuela and Iran, so I don't see why they wouldn't engage with the Taliban. Another important regional power, Iran, officially recognized the Taliban government in February of this year, handing over the Afghan embassy in Tehran to diplomats from the Taliban. The two governments have been developing ties since the Taliban took over. In the years leading up to the fall of the NATO-backed government, there were increasing reports of Iran providing weapons to the Taliban. Their engagements so far concern border security, investment opportunities such as mining, energy, agriculture, and railways, the treatment of millions of Afghan refugees in Iran, and the Taliban's quest to gain expertise in different fields. It is widely believed that the two countries' ties could strengthen further. Pakistan, its largest neighbor, has launched a massive diplomatic effort to the international community to engage with the Taliban and ease its humanitarian crisis. But the Taliban's support of the TTP continues to lead to growing tensions and internal instability in the country. Pakistan's domestic economic and political turmoil continue to mount and the relationship with Afghanistan, while important, is not essentially a priority now, as the country has bigger fish to fry. Ethnic people from Tajikistan, Tajiks, make up between 27 and 37% of the entire Afghan population and are its second largest ethnicity, but do not participate in the Taliban-led government, which is predominantly Pashtun. Tajikistan, therefore, is another important neighbor. And while other countries in the region have been cautious with the Taliban regime, the Tajik government has been vocally very hostile and critical of the Taliban regime, given its very long antagonistic history. Afghan-Tajik border tensions have been rising, given the Taliban's complete support and protection of the TTT, a new militant group whose goal is to replace the Tajik secular state with an Islamic one. Provocations, border clashes, and stray missiles have continued to raise tensions along the border. However, Tajikistan, like Uzbekistan, continues to provide electricity to Afghanistan and is also one of the closest Russian allies. Therefore, any spiraling out of tensions would probably not go anywhere in the near future. As can be observed, the Taliban do have options internationally, but are struggling to provide a coherent approach, given significant domestic challenges. Aligning with China, given its very deep pockets, would probably be the number one priority for the Taliban regime. All in all, Afghanistan's internal situation does look grim, even though there are certain areas to be hopeful about. The Taliban government has demonstrated impressive advancements compared to previous governments, especially in terms of corruption and governance. However, there is still a long road ahead for the nation of almost 40 million as its struggles will persist for the foreseeable future. Its international relations, at times complicated and tense, can only improve and tentative international engagement with the new Taliban regime is probably in the best interest of everybody as its humanitarian crisis continues to unfold. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Time. Please leave a review and follow me on Instagram and I'll be back next time with more insightful research.